Well, thank you so much for allowing me the privilege of being here. This is uh, really quite an honor. I'm thankful for Pastor Steve Dighton, a friend of mine for the last several years, for uh, asking me to come. And um, I'm, I'm uh, not as good a preacher as Stephen. I'm also not near the dresser he is, <laughs> the best-dressed pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. I asked him why, because he, he would come to our church in Central Florida, and he was a consultant on one of our uh, giving campaigns, and he was one of the only guys in a very fine suit. And I said, uh, how come you dress so nice? And he said, before I was called to ministry, I sold suits, and it never got out of my system. But... Um, I told him I used to wear a tie, but I couldn't preach with freedom with a tie on, so I shucked the tie. But um, this is a very special building for me. Um, as difficult as uh, the spring of 2013 when I came here and preached the funeral of my dear late mother-in-law, Willa McCurdy. Um, as a matter of fact, we sang that song, uh, 10,000 Reasons, at her, at her service. But the reason this is a special place to me because literally outside of knowing Christ, the best thing that ever happened to me happened right here. It was uh, June the 6th, 1992. And the reason it happened is because in 1988, I was a freshman at Hardin-Simmons University. Now, if we have any Wayland people in here, don't come at me with that hardened sinners stuff. Because I'll call you wayward real quick if you want to play that game. But I was at a retreat at Elmcrest Baptist Church. I was a freshman. And uh, I'm, I'm in line for my chicken fried steak. At that point, I'd never met a chicken fried steak that I didn't like. And I was in line. And the loveliest gal you've ever seen in your life comes up. And she saw my name tag. And I was trying to turn over a new leaf and sound real mature and erudite and as, as a college student. And I was trying to change my name to my birth name, which was Clifton. And my sister went to the school and she found out people were calling me Clifton. So don't let him fool you. He is Cliff. He's stupid little Cliff. But anyway. But I had my name that had Clifton on it. And this lovely girl came to me and said, Clifton. And I was about to drop my chicken fried steak everywhere. And yes, yes. I'm Susie McCurdy. And uh, that, I will never forget meeting her, and uh, a few years later, we began to date and uh, flipped over one another, and uh, in this very building, my late father married us, and uh, I would like to say to all the single men in the room, get yourself a Hoffmantown girl, because they make excellent wives, okay? <laughs> That's what I want to say this morning. <laughs> And uh, she's only given me five sons, and we've had the most joyful life we could have. And I, I do apologize to my father-in-law for 12 and a half years ago, moving his uh, youngest child out to Central Florida, where we have served at First Baptist Leesburg, and it's been a joy to be there as well. And I haven't, it's funny, when you're in Florida, you're missing snow, uh, which we got to see a little bit of on the drive-in yesterday, but when you're in here, you're missing sunshine, which we have a lot of. We sweat when we take down our Christmas lights in central Florida. It was, um, speaking of dates, I remember in 1987, I was listening to a news report on the television, and something didn't sound right to me. There was a televangelist in Tulsa, Oklahoma that it had a vision, that he saw a 90-foot Jesus. And some of you remember what he said, the 90-foot Jesus told him, that if he didn't raise, I believe the figure was, well, it was millions of dollars. 
an exorbitant amount of, of dollars for 1987. If he did not raise a million, millions of dollars to build a new hospital associated with his ministry, then the Lord was going to take him home. And something didn't sound right to me about that. <laughs> the end of the story is that for fear that this evangelist was going to be taken to heaven, many people stepped up and the millions of dollars were raised. But it sounded to many like a classic money grab technique. Now, I remember reading through the Bible for the first time in, around that time. And I, I'd heard a little bit about this story that I'm going to read today from Luke chapter 2. And I remember reading it. And this was not a money grab. But there was a biblical character that was told by God that he wouldn't die until something happened. And the, what was going to happen was not that millions of dollars was going to come to this man's ministry. What was going to happen is that he would not die until he saw the Messiah child. And many of you have heard the story of Simeon. It's a really kind of a, a great post-Christmas message because this story happened eight days after the birth of Christ. And so Mary and Joseph made the trek from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to offer their child, to have him dedicated, have him circumcised. And during that moment in the temple, they run into two people who were waiting for him. Anna, we know, was up in years. And Simeon, we assume he was up in years. I wonder if we're all going to be shocked we get to heaven and here is uh, Simeon at fit and 35 years old or something like that. The Bible doesn't tell us his age. The assumption we have is that he's older because he was waiting around to die until he met the Messiah. And once he sees him, we'll, we'll read that he says, Lord, dismiss your servant in peace. So there's a bit of a read-in about his age, but it, at least it's a sensible one. Let me um, read, first of all, verse, verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, and we're talking this morning about gleaning from a godly life. What are some truths from an, an older godly gentleman like Simeon that we can read from his life and ask God to implement and build in our lives as we face the year 2020 right before us? It says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The first takeaway this morning, if you will, from this particular aspect of Simeon's story uh, that we can glean from a godly life is number one, if you have an outline today, and that's this, ensure that Christ himself is your life's focus. Have you ever had something that just seemed to dominate your life? Um, I remember before our wedding, we were, we were doing countdown for how many days until our marriage. And we have two sons that are now engaged, and one of them gets married in 50-something days. Oftentimes, there's something in front of us. If you're a kid, you're counting down the days till Christmas. Um, there, we always have something that, that seems to be our focus, at least temporarily. And if we're not careful as believers, we can get a focus that is not necessarily evil and wrong, but unhealthy and misguided. And there's so many things that really grab for the allegiance of our soul. And here we have this example of Simeon that was waiting around for one thing, and that's to see Jesus. His life was literally focused 
on Christ. There's a few traits here that describe him. It says that he was righteous and devout, meaning the word righteous, meaning he practiced right living. He did the right things. And the word devout, meaning he was all in. He was sold out and surrendered. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, this is a messianic reference. It means he was waiting for the Lord's anointed one. Now, the, the first century Jews, they wanted a Messiah, but not, they didn't want Jesus. They were so tired of being under the thumb of Rome that they were ready for a power Messiah to come in and conquer the Romans and take them out. Yet Jesus never, the Lord never promised that is what the Messiah would do. They just sort of made the Messiah into their own image. And sometimes we want Jesus to be a certain way. But we don't get to fashion him. We must accept Christ for who he is, not who we wished he were going to be. And yet Simeon was simply waiting for God to show up and reveal himself. I want to encourage you to really think about the conscious focus of your life. There are seasons of life where money is an easy thing to focus on. There's other periods of life where relationships can really dominate and squeeze out our love for Christ. But there's a healthy way to bring all of these things that are important to us while maintaining our focus on Christ to make sure that Christ is the center of your vocation. He's the center of the way you approach finances. He's the center of the way you approach family, relationships, hobbies, and all things that Christ would become the conscious focus of your life. Now, we also see in 25, at the end of 25 through verse 27, that there's a unique relationship between Simeon and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God as is certainly is eternal. Uh, the Trinity, this church believes that God is one and God has revealed himself in three divine persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is certainly eternal. And there, but there are minimal references to the Spirit of God in the Old Testament and the beginning parts of the New Testament. And 40 days from this time, or just a few weeks from this time, the Spirit of God is, I'm sorry, it'd be 33 years and some days after this time, the Spirit of God is going to be released in power upon the disciples at Pentecost. And they're, they're going, believers are going to experience a fullness, an indwelling of the Spirit of God. When you come to know Christ, the Spirit enters your heart, and it's a lifetime journey of yielding to the control of the Spirit. And so this is sort of a, a precursor as to what the Christian life, the post-resurrection life, should look like. At the end of verse 25 it says, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. And then I'll pause right there. So we see in 25, 26, and 27 a reference to the Spirit of God. And one of the takeaways from that is number two on your outline this morning, and that's this, to keep in close step with the Holy Spirit. There's a verse that says basically that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you're like me, you'd like to know a little more specifics of Simeon's life. It says in verse 26 that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. 
it doesn't tell us how the Spirit revealed that to him. The impression you get is that Simeon was so in step with God, that he was so in tune with the work of God, the heart of God, the mind of God, that through his relationship with God, God made it clear to him in a way he would not miss. Now, it's possible that it was more direct than that. But the sense you get is Simeon was an unusually devoted follower of Christ, follower of the one true God, and all of a sudden God spoke to him in a way that he would not miss. What a beautiful picture and goal for us as we enter into a new year to say, Lord, this year... I want to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit like never before. How do we do that? How do we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Well, practically, one of the things we do is the moment we sense we have moved away from him, our fellowship is no longer in tune with him because of sin in our life, at that very moment we sense that we stop and we ask God's forgiveness. We trust his forgiveness because one of the functions of the Holy Spirit we read in John chapter 16 verse 8 is he convicts us of sin. And when we're convicted of sin, we say, Lord, we can say it under our breath or we can move away to a room and say, Lord, thank you for showing me that. Please forgive me what I thought. Please forgive me what I said. Please forgive me for what I've done. And you're going to sense in your life, the more sensitive you are to that, the restoring of the Spirit's power in your life to say no to sin. All your sins were purchased by Christ on the cross, and when you come to know him, you receive his forgiveness for past, present, and future sins. But it's important that we stay in a very close contact with Christ, agreeing with the Spirit's prompting for us to have a renewed fellowship with him. And then it says in verse 27 that he was moved by the Spirit into the temple courts. In other words, there was this close sense of direction that he had with God. Do you ever sense that for some reason God wants you to do something that's out of your comfort zone? Several times through the years, small things and then bigger things, I've sensed that God wanted me to do that. I couldn't explain it, but there was a strong leaning on my heart to do that. Recently, I had someone from the church hand me a a, a gift for me, and it was a one of those hand $100 bill things. <laughs> and he made it clear that this was, you know, for me. And I wish I were more spiritual to tell you that immediately my first thought was, this is going to Lottie Moon. But I started thinking about where I wanted to take Susie for dinner. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was interesting because we had just been praying for the Lord to, we're having a special uh, offering at our church that encompasses local missions, international missions, and some budget uh, catch up that we're, ha- that we're needing. And we'd been asking God to give us more opportunities to generously give to that. And as soon as I started thinking about her favorite Thai restaurant and maybe we can go to a movie, all of a sudden, the Lord's like, remember that prayer request you asked of me? Yeah, 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 yes. There was this sense was, as soon as you can, we have a, in, our, in our office, we have a little place for offering drop-off, so you can just turn the crank and put it in there, and I, I, as soon as I was able to get there, I put that offering right there so I wouldn't start thinking about any other creative uses for $100. Now, why was that? It's because 
I really sensed that God was laying it on my heart in a way that I could not miss. And I could have said, oh, Lord, this is, this is not you speaking to me. And if it wasn't the Lord, the reason I think it's the Lord is because I don't come up with ideas that good. If it's up to me, I'm going to do something else with that. But it, let's say it wasn't the Lord, but at least it, it could be given to something that could promote God's glory rather than just what I wanted to do. Matter of fact, a few months ago, I preached through a financial uh, series, which I don't normally do, but I preached through a, the book. Some of you read The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. We, I preached like a four-week message based on the principles from that book. And there was a lady that was receiving a, a large inheritance, and she was sort of doing something similar in her mind with the same thing I did with that very small $100 bill gift. And she came to the business office and said, I, I feel like God wants me to give this amount for this cause because of the things I've been hearing from the word of God in this series. And so God was doing work business on her heart and the Lord prompted her to give a gift that she had not planned on that was a, was a very large amount because the spirit of God was speaking to her in a way she couldn't miss. And, and part of the problem we have, the reason we live such compromised life so often is because we look at verses like this, moved by the Spirit, the Spirit spoke, the Spirit, and we say, you know, we're Baptist here. We, that's Pentecostal stuff, you know? We believe the Holy Spirit exists, but we don't really, you know, have to make that a daily part of our life. This is straight Bible. It doesn't say, this is the Pentecostal section, please move on. This is the Word of God. And we need to be sensitive and obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, just like Simeon was some 2,000 years ago. My mother is almost 80 years old. We grew up in, my family grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. And my father went to be with the Lord several years ago. And just a couple years ago, out of the blue, my mother, we could tell she was talking differently and acting differently. And my sister, who you know, grew, grew up just taking her kid to the doctor for every sniffle. She said, mom needs to go see a neurologist. And as we took her to the professionals, it, it was found out that she had the early stages of, of frontal lobe dementia. Uh, one of the good news things about it is that she is in a very happy, happy state of it. She was, well, a lot of people in Central Florida are dealing with parent care, elderly care, and most of them hate me. Because my mother's situation was, she it's, it's 77 years old, she moved out of her house without fussing. She handed us her car keys without fussing. She walked out of her house holding a few John Piper books, a few bags of clothes, and some Murder, She Wrote DVD set and walked into her new place. And my wife and others helped move everything to her. But she's very, very happy where she is. But with her condition, there are some things that are slipping. So a few days ago, we were there having lunch with her at her living facility, assisted living facility, and it was four of my, it was several of my boys and my nephew and a, and a couple of fiancés that were with us, and um, one of my nephews is a handy person, real techie, and he is also very sensitive to people's needs. He goes, Nana, would you like me to look at your computer? She has had a computer, and she's used to use email, but it's not, you know, been working well recently, and she goes, oh, Andrew, it's... It's, it's nothing you can do. He said, there's, I may call the geek squad one day, she said, but I, you know, it's, it's really messed up. And he goes, okay, well, I'll just look at it. And we go up to her room after lunch, and he, said, he says, uh, Uncle Cliff, it was called unplugged. <clears throat> there's no way you could ever pull this one off, Andrew. There's no way. <laughs> and uh, I started thinking, 
you know, a lot of things are a pretty simple fix, aren't they? Have you tried electricity? <laughs> that might help. And I think a lot of times we think that our spiritual, our temptations that we have trouble saying no to are so complex and so difficult that there's no, we have to give in to them every time. There's no way we can quit being bitter. There's no way we can quit being lustful. There's no way we can quit committing sexual sin. There's no way we can overcome our greed and our hateful heart and our hateful thoughts because we've done it so many times there's no way out. And I want to tell you this morning, plug into the power of the Spirit of God. He dwells inside you if you know Christ. We act like we're living impoverished spiritual lives with no power source anywhere when the answer is right in front of us. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit that you do possess if you have a relationship with Christ. As the story continues in verse 20, it says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, so God's Spirit is moving Simeon into the temple. We have read, uh, the passage before this is they've dedicated Jesus. And now right after the dedication, right after the circumcision, they bump into him. And you would say, oh wow, what a coincidence. But this was the Spirit of God setting all this up. And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, some of you young moms out there, or some of you who remember what it's like to be a young mom, and I've noticed the younger mom generation is a little bit stingier with baby holding. Have you noticed that? <laughs> now, some of you, and, and for some reason, in, in some cases there's some great cause for that, but no mom wants a strange Older gentleman just basically apprehending your child. And this looks like a, you know, a baby heist. <laughs> uh, but who knows, there may be some things that were said. And uh, to say, by the way, my name is Simeon. You don't know me, but I know about your child being the Messiah. That would have gotten her attention. How many people believe that Jesus was Messiah at this point? There was a pretty small group, Mary Joseph and and, and some shepherds at this point. And so for her to hear these words, she probably said, here you go, stranger. <laughs> and he picked up the baby in his hands and he praised God. I think about this point because until 1994, I had never really held a baby. Mrs. Lee began producing them like Patches the Cat. We have five sons. And... I, I, it's interesting, I didn't have a whole lot of responsibility in the first year or so of the baby's lives because she was incredibly capable. And I think one of the reasons I didn't have a whole, basically when they were weaned, they were handed over to me to play with. But I, I remember um, one time we had some friends over and our firstborn was just a month old maybe. We had some friends over from college and... I was, I don't know if I was trying to show off our baby or what, but Susie had left the room and said, let you guys got to meet Nathan. And I, since I hadn't held a baby much, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to hold a baby. And I have this memory of Susie coming back in the room. I had forgotten, did you guys know that one month olds can't hold their head up by themselves? Just a little advice, a little free advice for some of the folks in the room. I didn't realize that. And so I'm picking up Nathan by his back and she walks in the room and sees his head go, and guess what? I was in the penalty box for months on baby holding. <laughs> so I'm just reading this story hoping that Simeon was a little more skilled. Anyway, he's holding the baby in his arms, and it says that he praised God. Now, wouldn't you love to have been there and take that in? Because he's 
likely Simeon had some ears on him, had seen the Roman oppression, and it was in tune enough with God's spirit to sort of put the pieces together that this baby would be the one that would save the world from their sins. Matter of fact, we won't get to the verse today, but later on in the story, in verse 34 and 35, he prophesies that this child will pierce will be pierced, and will pierce Mary's own soul. He knew what the fate of this baby was. And likely Simeon, godly enough, as he described, righteous and devout enough to realize that he needed forgiveness, that he needed a Savior, and so he's overcome with worship as he holds the baby. And he says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, by the way, don't forget that God is sovereign. We sometimes have so many troubles that come our way, and we forget that God's in control of all things, government, conflict, weather, health, all our challenges. God rules over. The word sovereign means reigns. God reigns over all. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised. Now, dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That phrase, dismiss your servant, is a phrase that was used when a slave who'd been in bondage for some time is now released. It's a, pure, it's a phrase that meant, I am ready to die now. Now, one of the takeaways from this particular section might be number three on your outline this morning about gleaning from a godly life, and it's this, to live now in light of the end. We're blessed at our church to have a Christian school, and one of the things that, was, that preceded my coming there, which I thought was a little odd at first, but then I got into it, was that our seniors, we have maybe 30 or 40 seniors each year at our school, on a certain day at the beginning of the school year, they were given the right, the freedom to paint within reason, spray paint or other kinds of paint on their own particular space. So Sunday morning we have a 30 or 40 weird spaces that people can park in. But during the week, this belongs to so-and-so. So all my kids have graduate, have one left at the school who's a senior, and all of my kids have graduated from the school, so they all got to paint their own place. Now, a couple of years ago, my fourth-born son was having senior paint day, and he spray paint. We, we, uh, they, um, they couldn't take the Texan out of me or out of my offspring, and so they do have some, thus they have some cruel sports affiliations. And in my son's, he, this was 2017 in the fall, and he wrote Dallas Cowboys and wrote a big star and said, 2018 Super Bowl champions. Now, I don't know how good you keep up with NFL, but I will tell you that prophecy did not come true. (laughs) And it don't look like it's going to be 2020 either, does it? Uh, But I was proud of it. I was like, yeah, that's my boy. Cowboys fans are relentless in our cruel optimism. Now, you, but he didn't go ahead and buy Super Bowl tickets. He didn't go ahead and have a jersey made that said 2018. His zeal stopped with the parking space. There's some things that we wish were true, that we hope are true, that we want to live in light of them being true, but that don't come true. There was a, a famous 2007 movie called The Bucket List, And it told the story of a billionaire and a car mechanic that became friends while being in the same hospital room. And they were both worried about dying. And they sort of came up together with some things they wanted to do before they died. And they called those things the bucket list. Before I kick the bucket, I want to do these things. And the term has now become a cultural expression of people say, hey, on my bucket list, it's one of the things I want to do is this. What about Simeon's bucket list? (laughs) 
It was now down to one thing, seeing Jesus. And when that one thing is now marked off the list, he says, Lord, dismiss your servant. I'm ready to go. My life is complete, Lord, because my eyes have seen your salvation. This is a great reminder to us. I think it's fine for us within reason to have things on a proverbial bucket list as long as those things don't become our life's focus and we give those things to God and maybe plan and save for them and that kind of thing. And hopefully God will allow us to have some things that are dreams that, that, that still honor him in this life like that. But in our real heart of hearts bucket list, I pray that it would be down to the same thing Simeon had and that is this, I want to honor Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want to live for Christ and that's all I want to do. I mean, I, I have this memory of, I mentioned my father is deceased and I have this memory of at his funeral, he was a seminary professor at Southwestern Seminary and I stood in line with my mom and sisters at the viewing and a bunch of seminary professors came by and gave their condolences. And I grew up with most of the kids of the professors and one of them, Dr. Briscoe, took me by the hand and he said, Cliff, Tommy was my father's name. He said, Tommy taught us how to live. And he said, and Tommy taught us how to die. And I thought, I really took that to heart, and I thought about what he meant by that. I had just spent, prior to the funeral, a week or two being on and off duty in his hospital room. And I remember one night I had the privilege of spending the night with him. Sent my mom home. And dad had had all these different cancer treatments, and it was clear that there was nothing else they could do for him. And so his voice is fading, his body is weak. And he woke up that morning, and he looked over at me and said, Son, with a broken voice, would you pass me my Bible? He had a worn Bible. And he, he, usually, he preferred to read the Bible in Greek, but he went at this point and suffered and read it in English. <laughs> so I passed him his English Bible. I said, Here you go, Dad. And he said, Son. I'm trying to memorize the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, I said, Dad, um, I think that's great, but don't, don't wear yourself out. I said, Dad, it's, it's okay. Here, here his son is, a young pastor, talking to a revered seminary professor about, Dad, set your goals a little more realistically. <laughs> and I sat there and thought about a hunger for God's word that was filling his soul as he had just a few more breaths to take. He died like 48 hours after that. And I'm with him maybe later that day when there is a, a nurse, a male nurse that came in the room to give him something. And my dad looked at him through that broken voice and said, Sir, do you know about Jesus? And the man said, no, I'm, I follow this world religion. And dad said, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, and sir, you take great risk by not giving your life to Christ. <laughs> I was sitting there. I was just I was eating popcorn, just watching this. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sitting there going. So I, I take all that into consideration, what I'd just seen. And I, I remember Dr. Briscoe's words Tommy taught us how to live, and Tommy taught us how to die. And then today I think of Simeon. And brothers and sisters, one of the things that comes out of us when we're at our weakest 
is often, unfortunately, who we really are. And I want to encourage you to live in light of the end and to not let your life be marred by vain pursuits, by selfish ambition, and that your heart and soul are tethered to this earth and that you may have a nice Christian glaze on yourself on Sunday morning, but deep inside the real you loves this earth and loves yourself because who we are comes out. And you could tell that Simeon was righteous, was devout, was moved by the Holy Spirit, had a really short ultimate bucket list, and once that bucket list was crossed out, he said, I am joyfully done. Living God, take me home. One last thing I want to encourage you with is from verse 31 and 32 where it says, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light, For revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is a quote from the book of Isaiah that reminded everyone that Christ is, yes, a particular Savior for God's chosen people because the gospel will first go to the Jews. But then he reminds us of the global picture of Christ and said he was, he's prepared in the sight for all people, to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles and a special glory for God's people. Basically, this is a reminder to us to have a heart for all peoples of the world to come to know and worship God. Every believer should have a globe in their heart. Yes, we should care for our neighbors. Yes, we should be burdened for our city. Yes, we should share Christ locally and minister to needs locally. But we don't have the the right to tell God, this is where my heart ends. Why? Because God is a global God that wants all nations to come to know and worship him. And he will accomplish his purpose. We read at the end of the the book. Do you ever go to the end of the book and read Revelation? It says there's people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation gathered around the throne, and he wants you and I to be his servants to that end. I have this, we hear from missionaries that there's a bunch of people that don't know about Jesus. And yet in our modern world, yes, there's over 7 billion people in the world, but everything is so modern, you have everything at the touch of your fingers, it's almost unbelievable that there's some people that don't know anything about Jesus. I used to be a college pastor several years ago, and I remember out in West Texas, some of you know the little town of Canyon, Texas, outside of Amarillo, and I served there at First Baptist Canyon, and I was on campus, and I was... I had a special penchant in my heart for international students, and I especially like to see ones that were sitting by themselves, because I would try to go up and have a conversation with them, and there was one gentleman that I spoke to, and he was from East Asia, Taiwan or China, and I spoke to him, got his name, he thought I was a professor, and I told him, no, no, I'm a pastor, and I work at a church, and he said, okay, what is a pastor? And I said, well, it's a religious teacher. Do you know what religion is? He goes, yes. I said, so I'm a religious teacher at a church. Do you know what a church is? And he goes, no. And I said, well, a church is a place where we read the Bible. Have you heard of the Bible? He said, no. And I said, well, the Bible is a book about God and his son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? And he stopped and thought for several seconds. He goes, no. I don't believe I've ever heard of Jesus Christ. 
I don't know if you've been to West Texas in a while, but there's a handful of churches there. This person had been in town for a number of months in one of the most evangelized places on God's green earth, and he'd never heard the name of Jesus Christ. I've told that to my sons, and a year or two ago, our church has a partnership with a city in China, and we send volunteers there and uh, short and long term, and we pray for the, our IMB personnel that are there. And one of the ministries we have for our short-term trips, and it's interesting, the missionaries themselves want us to come down for short-term trips because it encourages them, and we can sort of start some things that they could end up finish, finishing. Well, one of the ministries they have is called the English Corner. And so these young Chinese students come to a particular place to practice their English. All of them want to learn English. It's the language of success. It's the language of commerce, the language of money in their mind. So they always want to practice their English. One of my sons was there on the English corner, and he had a conversation that mirrored the one I had some 20 years earlier. And he comes to me and says, Dad, I was talking to this, this girl, and I was asking her what she studied, and she asked me what I'm doing here, and we talked about this and that. And then I, I, told, I said to her, we're here to tell people about Jesus. Have you heard of Jesus? And this was a year and a half ago. In a, in a massive city with millions of people. And this young lady said, no, I have not heard of Jesus. My son brought up the name Christmas. And then she goes, oh, I think I know something about him. Do you really want someone's knowledge of Jesus to be what an atheist government tells them about Christmas? And basically she knew nothing about Jesus. Some of you are going, I really liked your sermon to this part. You've entered the bummer phase of your sermon. Why end with such bummerness? Well, as we look at Simeon's life and look at what the actual word of God said, and if we're going to learn anything from his life, we've got to learn that God's heart has always been for all the peoples of the world to know him and worship him. And if we're going to be anywhere aligned with God's heart, we can't, we can't put things into God's heart. We have to receive his heart. And his heart beats with a longing for people to know him and praise him. There was a young man, a member of our church, that read David Platt's book, Radical. Some of you have read that book. If not, I do recommend it as a great resource to learn more about God's heart for the nations. He'd read the book and it began applying with the International Mission Board and said, Cliff, I want to go be a missionary. I want to take my family. My wife is a little bit hesitant, but we are talking through the process. And I said, great. I'm the last person on earth that will ever talk to anyone. I'm going to the mission field. And as I met with him again, he said, my wife is starting to have some hesitancy about going. I don't know this is the right time for us. And I said to him, hey, we just happen to have an opening in our church. We have a local missions ministry, and it was, we had an opening to be the executive director. Yeah, I wanted to combine also a, a role with it for international missions as well. And all of a sudden, it just rung his bell. And for the last five years, he's been our missions pastor. And it came from a burden from a book that was scripture-saturated and encouraged people to do it. And now he's leading trips all over the world, mobilizing people to go over the, all over the world to share the love of Christ in our little city and to the ends of the earth. And I, I share that with you to say there's a niche for you in God's global cause. And maybe it's a, a niche very different than one you've ever projected for yourself. But there is a niche for you. And maybe, I spoke with some of the staff here, and like every Baptist church, they stay open on New Year's Eve until the bell rings. Why? Because there's something that some people are annual givers. And there's a year, our executive pastor and our business minister, they will be there till midnight if someone says I'm coming. 
And I say that all to you to say that maybe this year God is laying on your heart an incredibly generous gift for the World International Missions Offering, for the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, because you really want your heart to be more aligned with God's. And one of the ways you demonstrate that is beginning with cheerful generosity. I don't think for a moment that that's the end all be all. That's the end of it. But it could be a journey into you learn to pray more diligently for world evangelizations and look for ways to participate in God's heart and God's global cause. So the fourth principle this morning about gleaning from a godly life is number four, and that's this, to join God's passion for his global cause. As we close this morning and enter into, in a moment, a time of response, I want you to think about, first and foremost, as you enter into a new year, this one simple question, do you know Christ personally? Not do you know things about him, not do you admire his teachings, but do you know him? Have you ever entered into that place where you've personally trusted him for salvation? And if you really feel like you've placed your trust in Christ, maybe another question to ask is, what can you learn from Simeon today? Maybe you've really neglected God's prompting in several areas of your life. Maybe you've really never yielded to the Spirit's conviction of sin, to areas in your life he wants you to change, for things he wants you to be a part of that you're not, or habits to cease. But also maybe you're here today and you're interested and willing to participate in the global cause of Christ for his glory among the nations. You have some members of the church and the pastoral staff that in a moment are eager and ready to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're a guest, but you live locally and you've been looking around for a church family. This church is without a pastor, but I can tell you this, this church has stood for the Lord Jesus for decades and they're gonna be some of the last people standing for truth. I urge you to consider joining your heart with this body of believers and saying, I'm willing to be a member. Others of you may have been uh, come to know Christ, but you've never been baptized by immersion since your conversion. They would love to talk with you and pray with you about what that means. And most importantly, if you don't know Christ, yet you're sensing today a willingness to turn to Christ, we would love for you to come and pray with one of our counselors today. Let's take a moment and enter into a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, how can we thank you enough for this example? We thank you, Father, for gleaning from this godly life of Simeon. And Lord, if you give us that privilege with the great cloud of witnesses in the kingdom of heaven one day to meet him and learn more about him, we would all honor that. But until that moment, Lord, we pray that we would continue to learn from his heart, his love for you. And I pray our bucket list, in an ultimate sense, would be very narrow, that our passions would become yours. I pray you give us your heart for the nations, for your name to be praised. And I pray even now, people would respond to your spirit in this service. And we pray this in Christ's name we pray, amen. And as we're standing, you come if you'd like to join this church, give your life to Christ, or pray with one of our counselors. As we sing, you come.
better time than right now. There's no better year than 2019. Come on down. Make that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as we sing. I love Jesus Christ in your seat, if you haven't wanted to come forward, you don't have to do anything except accept that gift of Jesus Christ. If you've done that and you want to talk to one of us, one of the ones up front, one of the pastors, Pastor Cliff, please seek us out. Talk to someone. Ask them about how you can walk more closely with your Lord Jesus because that's what Jesus Christ has become if you've accepted that gift. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. Take that next step, whatever that might be.